You're listening to Founders On Air with Steve Orenstein and Mike Rosenbaum. This podcast is sponsored by Zoom to You, Australia's on-demand courier marketplace. Get your parcels delivered within hours rather than days. So today we have with us Ben Chung, partner at RightClick Capital. Welcome to the show, Ben. It's great to be here, Steve and Mike. So thanks uh, so much for joining us. It's, as I said earlier, it's very nice to be uh, asking a VC lots of hard questions rather than the other way around. Yes, getting grilled is always an experience. <laughs> so why, why don't you share with us a little bit about sort of how you got started in the, in the VC world and a little bit about your background for everyone to, to, to understand. Sure. Thanks for the opportunity to chat with you both. I've been really fortunate to have been part of the tech community in Australia since the mid-90s. I was at university in the mid-90s with my good friend and business partner back then, Ari Klinger, who's one of my business partners still today, all those years on. And we were enamoured by this thing called technology, by this thing called the information superhighway, which really was the internet. And it was a time when I had to get approval from my dean. It's not the head of school, but the dean of the department to get an email address. So I went down to Kensington Tech, otherwise known as UNSW, to the dean's office to sign off on my email address. And of course, it was a really good looking email address because it was my my university ID number, <laughs> and then a very, very long suffix <laughs> at something, 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 unsw.edu.au. But I think when I was so fortunate to see the power of HTTP 1.1 back then, I'm guessing, and how in a couple of seconds I was able to communicate with people whether it was in the United States or the United Kingdom or in other parts of the world, it really opened my eyes to the opportunity of the internet. And shortly after, Ari and I, we started our first business where we sold mobile phones online. So we were the first and largest retailer or e-tailer of mobile phones. And we thought, hey, mobile phones are a booming industry. Why don't we combine a fast booming industry with... E-commerce, which also seems to be a booming industry. And of course, e-commerce back then is a far cry from what e-commerce was even 10 years ago, which is a far cry from what it will be in 10 years' time. So I've been through that journey of having started companies through the dot-com boom and bust, and then through other companies that we got involved and sold in, in 2006, a company to uh, a listed marketing services group in Australia. We started another business that was sold to Fairfax in 2008. And there's been a whole bunch of businesses and people we've been fortunate to be uh, part of. More recently, we started Right Click Capital originally in in 2003 to invest in some of our own ventures. And then it would have been in around 2013 that we took money from external parties, from investors, and have been investing on their behalf along with our own money. And we've been investing now out of our second fund, a right-click capital fund. And we love investing in old founders who are taking their early steps 
and we like software businesses, we like IoT businesses, and we also like deep technology businesses, businesses that maybe have spawned from a research lab, a university, or some institute. And I love being able to spend time with founders, and it's a stimulating, a stimulating week in the life of VC, but also challenging from time to time. And I think we're in one of those challenging moments now as we open the newspapers or read what's happening online. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and what, what's, what sort of st- a size of st- like startups are you getting involved in? Like I know early days you sort of were dabbling in that sort of very early seeds before that, just the idea. Mm. Sort of where do you see your focus at, at the moment? Our first fund was the Sydney Seed Fund where we were investing in a seed stage and looking for companies that were pursuing businesses that could go global. With our second fund, we've been doing similar things. We've been investing at a pre-seed, seed and series A. That's been our sweet spot. We've occasionally been in some slightly later companies, but our sweet spot is pre-seed, seed and series A. And as I said, we love to be the first check-in, whether it's fifty dollars or $100,000, but we're also happy to, to write checks of a couple of million dollars for businesses that are wanting to expand, wanting to expand globally. Yeah, cool, awesome. And like, how do you think the VC world in in Sydney and Australia has evolved since the, when you started? Like, I mean, I think you guys are probably one of the one or two of the the VC funds available versus today. Look, I think Australians can be can be grateful that thanks to the efforts of a number of key people, they. They, they have been able to, to grow the, the VC space. And, and, and it's also been, and we've got to give credit where credit's due, we, we have to thank the federal government who has been supportive with a number of schemes to encourage investment in these high growth businesses. So there has been a real increase in the number of venture capital funds. Some have a broader focus like us, Others have decided to take a more narrow focus, perhaps focusing on clean energy or focusing on fintech. And I think for startup founders today who are looking to raise capital, they have more options and the ability to choose funders that are better suited and more better suited to to those expansion plans. Yeah, it makes sense. And so... If you like to share, so what's been your best investment to date and why do you think that's been the case? Look, this is a little bit like asking who are your favourite children. One of the <laughs> companies that, that, that would be very fond in our minds is an investment that we made in the Sydney Seed Fund called Trademark Vision. This is a company, a deep technology company that was spun out of NICTA and now called Data61. And this company made use and still makes use of computer vision to assist in the world of trademark or copyright. What happens when you file a trademark application, you usually or you used to have to describe it in words. These days with the search engine from trademark vision, you're able to search visually. And it was almost like a Google image search before its time. And we're excited about it because the founders 
about 18 months ago, decided to go on this journey of, of selling the business. And there was interest from one of their largest distribution partners, which was a private equity-backed company based in the United States, who made a very, very strong offer. So we're fortunate to have seen the lives of founders change and also for our investors to get a very strong return. Yeah, awesome. On the flip side of that, um, without naming names, I guess, sort of your, your worst investment, I guess not necessarily knowing who it is, but just like why you thought that was a really bad investment and sort of how that sort of the, your thesis switched or your learnings you had yeah, from that. There have there, been a couple. I think what I have come to realise more is that the world of startups are tough and one that comes to mind is where there were some relational breakdowns between the founders. And I think when you're placed in a pressure cooker situation and even though they had a great product and they were working well together, seemingly, I think there was this undercurrent that built up and there was a breakdown in the relationship. And that's always very painful. We invest a lot in trying to get to know founders and in trying to provide helpful feedback to founders. But ultimately, it is founders who are the real drivers of success in the business. And when you have two or three and perhaps one doesn't get on with the other two or vice versa, it can be it can be terribly destructive and sad in a way to see some of the potential opportunity pass. Yeah, okay. So um, Steve and I are sort of amateur angel investors. We do a little bit of investing on the side apart from running our businesses, uh, you know, 101% of the time. <laughs> and I guess often what we hear from, from other founders, and I guess this is sort of advice for ourselves as, as well, is you know, how do, I, how do I raise capital? So could you sort of walk us through from your sort of perspective, uh, let's say an early stage business, it's got a little bit of traction, a little bit of revenue, not a lot. What steps should they take? How should they be thinking about raising capital? And then perhaps at the next phase, so maybe call it pre-seed and then, I don't know, post-seed or something like that. Sure. So I'd suggest at a really early stage, it is helpful to think about why do you need to raise capital? And you might be familiar with the work of Simon Sinek who often asks the question, what is your why? And then once you know your why, go and ask why again. And I think founders should adopt a similar approach when it comes to raising capital. Why do you want to raise capital? Just because you've raised capital doesn't mean you're successful at life or in business. It just means you're successful at raising capital. So if you do want to raise capital, what do you want to do with it? And what is your vision for where your business will be in, say, 12, 18, 24 months' time? Because 18 to 24 months is a typical, particularly in a pre-seed world, it's a typical amount of runway or amount of money that you, you raise to, to last that many months. And I think... Being able to have a clear why you want to raise that money and what that money will bring to you is important. It's no different to if you're going to spend money on a home renovation, you want to be really clear 
the home renovation will give you a new kitchen, it will give you a new bathroom, and it will give you that extra lot space that you've been promising your loved one for such a long time. That's very clear. It's it, 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 it's quite dimension. You, you, you can put that in dimensions, and you'll hopefully be able to, to show that if you spend X dollars on this renovation with the kitchen, the bathroom, and the loft, that the value, the capital value of your home is more than it is now, and hopefully more than the sum of the value of your home now, plus the cost of the renovation. It's very similar when, when raising capital. Now, of course, there are heaps of guides on the internet, and I can recommend my one of my, my colleagues and partners at RightClick is called Gary, and he has a website which is after his surname, Visonte, V-I-S-O-N-T-A-Y.com, and he has a great slew of resources for Australian startup founders. So there'll be resources there on how to create a deck, how do you get your pitch together, et cetera, et cetera. And I think once you have this clear why and how, et cetera, then being able to put that on paper in some kind of deck and being able to explain that clearly is really helpful. And then getting some introductions to potential investors. And I think like anything in life, practice is really helpful. You're not going to take a cricket bat for the first time and hit a six, very, very unlikely. So when it comes to chatting with investors, practice before you perhaps go and speak to the investor that you think is most perfect for your business. That's great advice. Thank, thanks for sharing, Ben. And, and I guess that leads me on to my next question. Mm. How, how do you, as a VC, typically meet founders? I mean, you mentioned introductions, I guess events. Yeah, how, how do you typically meet startups and, and founders and how should founders find VCs? Yeah, well, the, the, the great thing is that VCs are not shy people. You, you, you are, are able to look up lists of, of VCs. In fact, for the government, if I think you go to business.gov.au, has a list of VCs that are taking part in a government VC program. So you can certainly hit us up there and you'll see a bunch of other colleagues. I think going to networking events is really helpful. Being able to practice your pitch at the various co-working spaces or startup hubs can be a great way to, to hone your approach, but also to meet with VCs. Personally, I spend time at events, at pitch competitions, not only in the, the city that I live, which is Sydney, but I spend a bunch of time in Melbourne, in Adelaide, in Brisbane, for instance, and I help with fundraising workshops or pitch presentation workshops. And then I'm really happy to receive what we call inbound deal flow, which is connections from, from founders. So whether it's on LinkedIn or sending an email, we're really happy to, to, to get that feedback. And to, to, to go back to the, the, the question that you asked before, what are some of the ways to prepare yourself if you're a slightly later stage business for, for, for investment? I think it's very similar to the, the pre-seed or the seed stage, but it is being able to show and present a narrative 
around what you have previously accomplished and what you will accomplish in the future based on the foundation that you've built with, with the money. So I think being able to have this beautiful narrative where you're able to show these are the foundations that we've been working towards. And hey, it's okay. Sometimes the foundations are a little circular as we iterate and try to find that product market fit or realizing that mm, we were going after customers who perhaps have the favorite color of red, but really we should go after customers customers whose favorite color is, is, is yellow or blue, like they're, they're more likely to buy our product. And then being able to, 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 to generate more sales and scale thanks to additional capital. So I think being able to, to, to tell that story, tell that narrative in a logical, sensible fashion is, is, is really helpful. And, and I think key question that we will often ask is, well, how big is your, your market? What progress have you made towards that market? And then what are the things that you're going to do, such as the team or the technology or the, or the sales channels that you're going to employ in order to help you get on this journey to, towards high growth? This podcast is sponsored by Parkhound, Australia's parking marketplace. To find a convenient parking space near your home or office, Thanks for sharing. I think that's very useful to a lot of founders to sort of think about it from, from a VC's perspective. Mm. Um, and, you know, the way you sort of explain it is very logical, right? But sometimes founders don't think about it from, from a VC's perspective. So thank you for sharing. Mm. What's, what's the one investment that you passed on and you, and you sort of, you know, you wish that you, you would have? <laughs> Look, I was very fortunate to see some of the, 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 the money advance type fintechs early on, like for like for the afterpays of the world. So yes, that's clearly a regret of mine, but it's interesting that say the afterpay really didn't take money from the the world of VC. I think that's something that 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 I've regretted and at least personally. And I think the the, the thing that we try to ask ourselves at right click and we still get it wrong <laughs> is what could be if these folks are successful how much could they change this industry how much could they change the market how much could they possibly impact the world and i think sometimes as vcs we're a little bit negative around oh the market size is not so big or look they're relying on this type of dependency or gee they need to be able to amass such a special team in order to bring this technology to a large market but I think one of the the, the tips that I've learned from one of the, the leaders of a network that we're part of so his name is Tim Draper he is the, the founder of Draper Fisher Shevitson and, of course, Draper Associates that he invests out of today. And he invested as the first investors in Tesla, in Skype, in, 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 in Baidu, so, and, and Hotmail, of course. So, so a whole range of, of businesses. And, and, and his, his advice to, to, to us has been, you sometimes need to think, what if... 
the founder is successful. And, and, and that, that clearly does cause you to lift your eyes and, and to think about the success as opposed to the possible roadblocks. Yeah, it makes sense. And when you think about the sort of the founders that you've met, both in Australia and across Southeast Asia and the US, how do you sort of think like Australian founders compare to what's happening outside of Australia and the rest of the world? I think one of the good things about Australian founders, and maybe this is why we're a little shy overseas, is that we, 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 we tend to, to, to not BS. We tend to be pretty real. And I, I, I do like that about Australian founders. I think one of the great things about Australian founders, particularly in the last five years, has been a recognition that Australia is a market of maybe 25 or 26 million people. And therefore, if the desire is to build a business that does change industries or impacts particular sectors or markets, then they need to think globally. And there are, there are only so many mouths in, in Australia, and that's if you're selling... That's if you're selling food. <laughs> if you're selling something that is more niche, let's say you've got software for enterprises of more than 500 employees in the world of manufacturing, well, then there's a lot fewer customers for you in Australia. And therefore, if you wish to become an influencer, a changer of industry, then you've got to work out what are the international markets you wish to conquer. So I think that's great that Australians have been 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 going down that, that track. I think the, the, the other benefit that we have, and I'd like us to explore this more as as as, as startup founders, is how do we how do we exploit the fact that something like sixty percent of the world's internet population is in our time zone. So if we just got up a little bit earlier, we'll have more of the United States, the continental United States. And of course, during the day, we have our friends to our north, <laughs> Asia, of course. And then as it gets a little bit later in the afternoon, we have our friends on the subcontinent. And then as it gets a little bit later and the afternoon in, in say, in, in Western Australia, we've got our European friends. So we have a remarkable time zone, should we choose to exploit it more, in being able to touch more of the world because of where we are geographically positioned. And I'd love to see us take more advantage of that. Yeah, okay. So the message to founders is to think global. Yeah, yeah, one of our portfolio companies, for instance, has operations in in New Zealand, so they're able to cover most of the US, and then they have operations on the east coast of Australia, and they also have a small team on the west coast of Australia in Perth, and we can pretty much follow the sun for something like 20, 22 hours yeah, Obviously, right. some people might need yeah. to wake up a bit, wake up a bit earlier. But that's pretty cool, right? Yeah, that's absolutely. Pretty cool. A and to keep living in Australia. Yeah. yeah. So switching gears a little bit now, um, and obviously we're here in March the seventeenth, I think it is today, and uh, the coronavirus is uh, affecting you know pretty much every country around the world, and so leaving the health and those sides 
aside, just thinking about it from a founder's point of view, what, what advice would you give to founders sort of going through this right now and thinking about capital raising or needing to raise capital uh, at this point in time or sometime into the future? Mm. Well, first of all, I'd say that your health and the health of those that you love and our community is the, the most important thing, right? Absolutely. <laughs> no, point, no, no, no point being the Australia's best founder if, 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 if the, the health is not there. So that, I think, is the, the first thing. I think for founders that do have active operations, at this stage, given the uncertainty in the world and even in our country, it is important to ensure that your business is set up to live for another day, week or season. So we're advising our portfolio companies to check their assumptions. If their assumptions, for instance, rely on sales to be made in the next week or in the next month, well, some of those sales assumptions, and of course it depends what sector the startup companies are in, but some of those assumptions will need to be adjusted. And clearly, if the sales assumptions need to be adjusted, then unfortunately, some of the expense assumptions may need to be adjusted too. So I was chatting with a company the other day who was planning in the calendar quarter, second calendar quarter of this year to have expansion into the United States. That's not going to happen. And therefore, there will be some cost savings in not having to hire people in the United States to carry out that new sales plan. And I have suggested that they look at alternative ways to redeploy that budget. Some of that budget may be spent on product development because some of that can certainly be done even if people are working from home or other remote sites. But some of that, I suspect, will be saved, will be left in the back pocket to extend runway. So I think if founders are thinking about runway, who knows how long this external shock is going to last, but I would be advising founders to be... To, to, to think ahead and do what they can to extend their runway and companies with longer runway are going to have more options clearly than companies with shorter runway. I think the, the, the other thing also is what are the, what are the, the, the contingencies that, that need to be made or that need to be confronted given, given this time. I was chatting with, uh, startup founder yesterday, and this is really sad. I, it, it pains me to say this, but they've had to to lay off some people, and it's a terrible type of thing to to really consider. But they've had to lay off some people because they were going to be working in uh, uh, working on a new project, and that project just has a very long lead time. So in order to preserve the runway, they've made that tough and terrible decision to do. And it's not a nice topic to talk about, but I feel that if I don't talk about it, I, I, I wouldn't be 
be real. Yeah, absolutely. So that, absolutely. That, that, that is certainly happening. As we turn to the fundraising environment, look, at RightClick, we're still open to reviewing pitches. In fact, I've had a number of founder meetings today and we are working closely with our portfolio companies. And what I'd say is it would make sense to assume that the general investor will be a bit slower to make funding decisions in this environment. Now, we're hoping not to slow that down, but I would say in general, if you were planning on raising money, say, in three months' time, it's quite possible that it might be extended by a couple of months. So my feedback is extend the runway. And the, the, other, the other positive thing, if you like, to share is that I was reviewing some material around what has happened to our industry in previous times. And in the GFC, for instance, we saw, and this is using US data, we saw that there was a slight decrease in the average value of a round, but this was more pronounced. This affected companies that were later stage companies. And these are companies that were much closer to uh, IPO. And, and clearly, if you were going to list your company today, it was probably not the best day, not that you would have known to have listed. So any companies that were, I think, planning to list are probably pausing that for the time being. And with the equity markets being very volatile, the companies that are or were on the, the IPO path, uh, unfortunately, the, the more likely to be affected than, say, the earlier stage companies that are relying from r relying on money from from say angel investors or VCs. The things that we hear a lot from our audience is that they learn the most from um, mistakes that others have made and how to sort of avoid them, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'm going to ask you a question along those lines. So you see a lot of founders, a lot of startups, you've invested in quite a few over the years. What are some of the classic mistakes that you see founders or startups make? And what advice would you have for founders uh, in this regard? Yes. I think one of the first things does come back to your topic of product market fit and I think and traction. And that is, it's really important to work out in the early days who your customer is and get to know them very well. And then once you get to know a few of them really well, try to get more of them on your book to, to know very well. Because I think unless there is a real clear understanding of who that customer is, it's very difficult to then pursue a marketing campaign to, to, to grow the awareness and the usage of your product. I think that's the first thing. I think the other thing is that with, with founders, quite often you'll hear VCs like us talk about problem that might be faced by a user and a solution. 
what I'd say is that if that is difficult for you, in other words, if that's difficult for you to 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 really frame your solution to a particular problem, find proxies to do that. So find ways to somehow explore or understand if what you're doing is valuable to the user. And one of the ways that we have tried to do this when we're assessing companies is say rates of usage. If you do have a little app or if you do have a bit of software and you have four features, which of those four features is the most used by your group of users? How often is it used? When is it used? And I think trying to gather that real information and usage usage behavior is so, so important. And then I think the third and final bit of advice to founders, particularly those who are on the path of fundraising, is that in the same way you're unlikely to get a cricket bat and hit a six straight away, it takes practice and it takes perseverance to be able to, to learn how to take advantage of those <laughs> balls that you can hit the six. When you are fundraising, practice, get the feedback, iterate and practice again. And do not think that you can simply raise money in one to two months. It doesn't happen. Even the best fundraisers take a number of months to raise their capital. So I would suggest that you better be, 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 be more conservative in giving yourself more time to raise that money, recognizing that it can be a distraction from the day-to-day -day of the business. But if you are planning in advance, then hopefully you're able to time your raise such that there is less impact on your day-to-day -day business and that you also, with the practice and the, the improvements from the feedback, have a much greater chance of success. Thanks, Ben. There's some really good practical advice there. Earlier, you mentioned a website, Gary Pistante. We'll, we'll add that to our website and we'll put a link there for, for our founders to listen to or to, to read. Just one final question for you. Um, thanks very much. You've been very generous with your time today and sharing so much with us. Is there a, a book or an article or someone that founders should follow to kind of um, get some inspiration or some, some ideas? Yeah, one, one final thought for the day. Look, I have been really interested in Tim Draper's book, which is called The Startup Hero, which is pretty cool. And you can hear some of his stories and sayings from that book. And then I think the, the other one, which is a, a, a classic, is is the the book that has been written by by Ben Horowitz, which is the hard thing about hard things. Yeah, that's a, my favorite. It's a good book. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Ben. It's you've had some great insights, and I'm sure lots of people are uh, going to really enjoy this episode. So, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Mike. Have a good one. You've been listening to Founders on Air with Steve Orenstein and Mike Rosenbaum a podcast designed for founders by founders to help you scale your business. For show notes and to ask questions for future episodes, go to foundersonair.com. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe. We'll see you next time.